0: Good morning, crypto.
1: Good morning, warriors. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from the top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got Gonzo, also known as Super G, joining us on this Wednesday. Selman, also known as the CEO of Collecti Labs and a renowned educator in the crypto space, interviewing many of the most influential names within our market, and now an honorary member of our 3T family, Tony Edward is in the building, ladies and gentlemen, so I'm very excited for today's episode. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we'll be discussing how HBAR added 1.7 billion tokens to the circulating supply. As Visa and MasterCard announced, they will be pausing on all crypto services, telling the world the SEC is not to be reckoned with. Google Cloud has partnered with Casper Labs in a move done to compete with Amazon Web Services as Coinbase is launching a new committee to battle for fair crypto regulation in the United States. A Ripple spokesperson confirms the company is working in over 20 countries worldwide on launching a CBDC. And as America is closer than ever to a digital transformation, our team breaks down the details, asking our special guest how XRP could be the greatest opportunity of our era. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube, Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern, at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So, Gonzo, we ran through the prep, and you know we've got some fantastic news for today. Gary Gensler, he's always in the live chat, so I know he's going to be watching. How you feeling, my friend? Thanks for being here. I'm
2: feeling great, man. Good morning, good morning, everybody. Just super excited. Uh, I love being on the show with Tony, because you guys got to check out his channel. I, his interviews are just top-notch. I always learn so much, and so it's going to be a great show.
1: Absolutely, guys. And we got the CEO of Lab, G, G's, in the building. And I know you had your Genesis mint yesterday. So feel free to update people on that. How you feeling, my friend?
3: Thank you so much. Um, and it's always great to be here. It feels like yesterday. And um, I'm actually excited. Genesis finally available um, on XRP Cafe. And um, yeah, more than happy to welcome everyone to our Discord, to our community. It's just, you know, like minded people coming together, just like in the 3T Warrior Academy. And I'm also very excited to be here with Tony on stage. So um, very great news coming. Um, so definitely the chat is on fire. Love it. Let's start it.
1: Thank you, guys. And we got Tony joining us today. And Tony, for anybody who doesn't know, you interviewed the co-founder of Tether, and we're going to be playing a little bit of that interview today. But how you feeling, my friend? And thank you for making time for us.
0: Yeah, it's always great to be here. I actually just got back from vacation, so I feel refreshed, ready to talk crypto. It's always great to be here with you guys.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Tony. And speaking of vacation, shout out to our man, Johnny Crypto. I hope you're having an amazing week, my friend. But we're going to get this show started the same way we always do by showing you our Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That's at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. You get access to every member of our team. We're only 48 followers away from 3,000. So go smash that follow button. We love talking to you. The Bitcoin Fear and Greed Index is in neutral this morning. So Tony, we're going to skip past this and check out some of the daily movers. We've got MKR up 18%. Hex is up 12%. But overall, Green Day across the board. The total coin market cap is sitting at 1.08 trillion this morning. Bitcoin is 42% dominance. Ethereum is about 19%. We've got Bitcoin sitting at 23,700. Ethereum, 1,600. XRP is 38 cents. And Cardano is 36 cents. So, Tony, before we get into our articles for today, how have you been operating these last couple of months? Within the crypto community, everybody was waiting for that $30,000 Bitcoin. Obviously, that didn't happen. So, what are you anticipating?
0: Sure. I, I, I'm I, very bullish right now. I think that we're headed into Bitcoin's retracement. I was not as confident a month or two ago because things were still choppy. And don't get me wrong, there could still be a black swan event. We never know what could happen that could change the markets. But right now, if you look at the 2018-2019 chart and what's happening now, it looks like we're seeing that retracement for Bitcoin. And other uh, technical analysts have uh, confirmed this, like blockchain backer and so forth. Now, once again, the caveat, that's not guaranteed. That's not a certainty. It's a probability. That's what we're dealing with here. But I think um, Bitcoin is showing some strength. And I think the stock market's showing some strength. And we're seeing correlation there. A bit of a deviation recently, but I am bullish. I think we're due for a, you know a further move up. How high it goes, I'm not sure, but I'll take it.
1: Gonzo, before I kick it to you here, we got 165 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And I I hope everyone's ready for some Gary Gensler conversation this morning because he came out with a new crypto rulebook that has everybody confused unless you're a Bitcoin maximalist. But Gonzo, before we get into our stories for today, what projects have you been watching? I know Casper Labs just partnered with Google.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, I've been just, I've actually been focusing a lot in the gaming. I know we always talk about Gala, but like Vulcan Forge, some of the other kind of gaming studios like Nakamoto Games. There's another like kind of metaverse play called Red Frogs. So just kind of looking at the gaming ones, doing a little bit of DCA. But like Tony, I'm super bullish, right? I'm waiting for us to break that 25-2 level. And then it'll confirm in Wyckoff that we're in an automatic rally. And then we'll see how high up we go. There's like a big gap in the the VRVP. I think we can make it to 30, but like, you know what, we got to take it one day at a time. But like my overall view is that we're going to get that automatic rally. We're going to go up. And then when we hit the eclipses, we'll roll back over and then come back down. And then, we just don't know when we retest the lows, are we going to just go above the lows? Are we going to match lows or are we going to make new lows? We'll have to wait to see what happens. But that's what
3: absolutely,
1: guys. And the big news of yesterday, Gonzo, was the fact that Hedera released 1.7 billion tokens back into the circulating supply. And everybody was waiting for that price dump, Tony. So I think it could come a couple days down the line. But Selma, we covered an interesting article yesterday talking about how Sony – was rumored to be working with hbar on launching nfts on the playstation platform so i'd like to hear are you excited about what hbar is doing or does this token dump make you skeptical
3: no actually not like um, obviously there are different projects where a, like a massive inflation rate can really um, turn into a big selling pressure event right but with hbar i even if that's the case even if we see a price volatility there uh, I'm, I'm looking at the fundamentals. I'm looking at the utility, right? And so when I see what HBAR and the, the leadership team is doing, um, it's it's going to be a short-term event where you see selling pressure if it happens. Um, but after all, I believe in the long run, um, success of this project, be- I mean the chain, because of the leadership team and the community. I see on Twitter, everybody's a huge HBAR fan. So that makes me bullish on HBAR. And um, another interesting thing is, Um, we need to also do research on whether Sony wanted to partner with HBAR because they really enjoy and uh, love what HBAR is building, um, or is it uh, more like a paid partnership? Because many projects that work with Polygon, we know that Polygon paid them to work with them. So interesting thing, but overall, it's great marketing. When you see Sony joining the space, it's going to be great marketing for Hedera Ashcraft and for uh, anyone who's holding HBAR. Uh, that that's actually what we want. Right.
1: And Tony, we covered another article yesterday, talking about how Netflix has made an abundance of bad moves over the last 24 months. But one positive thing the company could be doing is working with HBAR on integrating ownership into the platform. And we showed our listeners a video yesterday. So how do you feel about HBAR in particular? And does the $1.7 billion dump, does that make you nervous?
0: No. So similar to uh, Selman's uh, um, comments, Uh, I'm not, you know, maybe in the short term, a little bit bearish, you know, for that event. However, long term, I am bullish just because of the different partnerships and the folks who are working with uh, Hedera. Um, You know, I think in this period of building uh, in the token releases, you know, it's going to be a roller coaster ride. But when you enter the bull market, it doesn't, I don't think it's going to matter because we've seen that historically. And don't get me wrong, tokenomics do play a value in the, you know, in how, uh, the price of the token it goes up and goes down. But I think bull market, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats. So I'm bullish on HBAR long-term.
1: Well, Tony, something else that might keep you bullish is yesterday, Coinbase came out in support of the retail investor, whether you believe it or not. They are trying to create a committee to bring in proper crypto regulation into the United States. And we're showing our listeners a video of, or the uh, illustration of how you can sign up here the name of this industry is Crypto 435, and the reason for that is there's 435 congressional districts across the United States. So Tony, before we hear from the other members of the group, how do you feel about Coinbase trying to bring in property regulation? I know if Johnny was here, he'd pull out the Rat Snake Weasel Index.
0: I'm just happy to see this because I, I don't know if you guys have probably seen me on Twitter. I'm constantly tweeting at Brian Armstrong, like, dude, you're the largest US exchange. You have a lot of influence. You're public. You're regulated. Why don't you bring together a coalition because divided, you know, we're going to fall, but united, we're going to stand. If Coinbase was to lead the charge, bring all these different crypto platforms and exchanges together. And I I was saying, sue the SEC, put pressure on them, right? That's going to go far away if you have an entire industry suing the SEC for clarity. So I like this. I'm glad that they're making a move to try to get things in the right direction. And, And we have to go on the offensive here. I think for a long time, a lot of companies were trying to lay low, like, okay, if we don't make any noise, the SEC will won, uh, come after us, right? Or see us. But now Gary's going after everything. So we got to come together. And I-, I like this move.
1: Absolutely. And Gonzo, I'd love to get some thoughts from you as well. But something we've talked about on this channel continuously is that Coinbase is indirectly backed by BlackRock. So the fact that they're coming out and promoting this crypto advocacy, it tells me that the people higher up within these trillion dollar organizations understand the onslaughter that gary Gensler can bring on this industry so i'd like to get some of your thoughts as well
2: yeah you know um i think it's a good thing like if you think about how washington works and the lobbyists like just look at the 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 gun laws right uh and, and how that works and how the lobbyists and how they they've been able to protect those laws right and then you compare it to like the tobacco industry to where it started kind of you know, it started off very strong and then they started giving things up little by little by little. And then you can see where they're at. Not, not promoting smoking. I'm just giving an example of how like the lobbyists work. So if they can turn this into something where they bring people together and it turns into a powerful lobby group, I think that'll be great for crypto because they'll be able to influence Washington and the laws that come out of there.
1: Tony, it's always a little bit weird when you're getting interviewed by somebody and they play a video of yourself. So I'm going to play this for you here. Hopefully you're not a little self-conscious. We're going to let this short clip play of you interviewing the co-founder of Tether because it's a great interview, my friend.
0: The blockchain
2: is the movement of money, the most coveted asset in the world, the most controlled and regulated asset in the world. The governments absolutely want to stop that. And therefore, people are like, well, the internet exploded on the scene and the the blockchain and Bitcoin's taking a very long time. It's because there's tons and tons of hurdles with trust and security and the value of what's being moved. Whereas before, if you lost an email or someone hacked your email, who cares? You know, especially in the beginning, there wasn't much value there. So... That's why this is taking much longer. And yeah.
1: he brings up a fascinating point there, Tony. And one of the things that sticks out to me is we've been critical of Tether here. First of all, shout out to you. You get some of the best interviews in the entire space, whether it's David Schwartz, this guy and there's several others. Congratulations. But what did you learn specifically about Tether that you didn't know before this interview? Is there anything you can share with our community before we dive into his statements?
0: Yeah, sure. I think uh, tether, you know, all all the controversy, all the things aside, it's truly a remarkable invention um it was the first to tokenize you know fiat currency on the blockchain and now you look at you know all the different things that are being tokenized on the blockchain so it really sparked tokenization when you think about it bitcoin is what it is when it was created and um, to be peer-to-peer cash and now it's digital gold so to speak Um, so really a remarkable invention now reeve is no longer with tether but he still believes from when his time there, they were doing the right thing. I think along the way, you know, things got a bit choppy because we saw the New York Attorney General did find them and so forth, but they didn't take them down, they didn't ban them. And I think you have to look at that. If 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 they got investigated by a regulator, which just took down BUSD, right, and Paxos, why didn't they stop Tether? Well, I think it, there wasn't as much uh, smoke there as people thought. There, there is, right? There's a lot of fun. And I, I think some of the short sellers use the tether narrative out there as a tool when they're ready to push the price down, right? If there's a little bit of uh, questionable things happening, they'll expand that and, and put hyperbole behind it to try to push the market down.
1: And I'm excited to go over the new report that Gary Gensler released yesterday, because I think it fits perfectly into this conversation, Tony. So I'm going to read this brief tweet and then kick it back to some of the group members. Yesterday, SEC chairman gave an interview with New York City Magazine and basically outed himself on how he sees the crypto market. He said, every other, everything other than Bitcoin is an unregistered security. You can find a website, you can find a group of entrepreneurs, and they might set up their legal entities in a tax haven offshore They might even have a foundation. They might get a lawyer to try to arbitrage and make it hard for for them to be qualified in any jurisdiction. That is a mouthful right there. But in other words, they are behind it. These cryptocurrencies are using a variety of complex and legally OPEC mechanisms. But at the most basic level, they're trying to promote their their tokens and entice investors to invest in these projects. I think he makes some good points there, but I think there needs to be an update in the regulatory framework. He's referencing the Howey test here. Does that mean oranges are also securities, Tony? (laughs)
0: you know funny enough i will be interviewing commissioner hester purse again today um and you know in my previous interview with her i think it was like two years ago she brought that up she's trying to convince the rest of them that hey it's not the asset it's how it's promoted if there's if there's a scheme i could take bitcoin i could go buy a million dollars in bitcoin and put it in into a thinking crypto fund and then tell people hey give me money and i'm gonna make this set of bitcoin give you higher returns than the ones that that are out there in the market or what you would go buy. That becomes a security. But it's not Bitcoin itself. It's my packaging. It's how I put together. And Gary is totally off base here. They need to update the regulations. And Hester Purse put out a good one where it's the safe harbor. Projects can start as securities, but over time become decentralized. Now, just imagine the SEC worked with projects in the industry. How smooth And how clear things would be. And the ones that don't become decentralized, well, okay, they fall into the security bucket, but allow these projects to grow and become decentralized. Because what's going to happen, and we're seeing it, they're going to lose control. In other countries, these tokens are virtual currencies. In the United States, it's it's securities. And these tokens exist on blockchains that are globally distributed. It's a mess. So Gary is just totally off base here.
1: Absolutely, and I want to get some thoughts from Gonzo as well, but I'm going to read this sentence right here. You tell me which cryptocurrency this reminds you of. They might drop their tokens overseas at first and connect or pretend it's going to take six months before they come to the U.S., but at their core, these tokens are public securities because it's a group in the middle and the public is anticipating profits based on that group's efforts. And for that specific sentence, I do want to say I agree. If there is a company promoting the underlying value of each token, we actually have the opportunity to speak to a developer at Polygon and he said one of the biggest flaws going on behind the scenes, and maybe I shouldn't share this, so you're welcome, I guess. One of the biggest problems behind the scenes is that when they go to these companies like Starbucks and Amazon and many of these billion-dollar companies, they aren't focused on creating real utility for the projects. They're focused on creating a price pump for the token so then they can dump on the retail investors. Now, they won't openly say that, and you'll never get a developer to admit it. But these private conversations, I know that's what being said. So, Gonzo, I'm going to kick it right back to you. Which crypto does this remind you of? I think it may be Cardano.
2: You know, I I was going to say that, but I wasn't sure. I didn't want to be wrong. But uh, because we've talked about that before about how it was rolled out overseas. Right. Um, You know, I I think it's look, I'm, I'm not an SEC attorney. Right. Not at all. But from what I've researched and what I've studied, the common theme is that it's not the underlying asset like what Tony was saying. It's the way that it's rolled out that makes it a security. So depending on how you roll it out, it could be Bitcoin. It could be slippers. It could be jerseys. All these different things can be securities. So for him to sit there and make that blanket statement that they're all securities, there's no way in hell that he's investigated all of those different blockchains or all those crypto assets and seen how they were rolled out to verify that they were actually rolled out as a security, right? So I think it's just a very dangerous blanket statement. But I mean, what do we expect from Gary Gensler? Like, this is this is like his moat. This is what he does, right? And for me personally, I think it's all just... I've said this before, I think it's all price manipulation. I think that, you know, he's in place not to protect the investors, but to protect traditional finance against the disruptive technology. And then he's just, they're all just trying to figure out a way to get their hands into it, like Johnny has said. And then once they all have their little positions and they have their claws into it, they're going to get loose with regulation and this thing's going to run. And we know that's going to happen. Now, does that happen in 2025, 2030? That remains to be seen, but I think that's how it'll play out.
1: Well, Tony, we brought up the launch of the internet before the show, and we're going to dive into that later in the episode. But before we do that, guys, we got 265 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. We got Tony Edward in the building. We're going to show you the second half of this interview with Tether's co-founder. Here we go.
0: The government, sir. It's going to take them a long time to figure it out. You know, as you were saying, NetRave, I thought of, is this the biggest disruption in the history of the world? Because of, to your point, it's disrupting money. Transportation was disrupted, Uh, energy was disrupted, Uh, data and internet and communication, but money, and to your point.
3: Not only that, this is the
2: first time in human history that anyone other than kings and governments
1: can create their own money. And this is what we saw back in 2018 when Facebook tried to launch their own private currency called Libra. The government came in and said, absolutely not. And I think that's why Gary Gensler is so upset with companies like Ripple, who maybe they didn't create the XRPL and build that product specifically for it, but they've now adopted that as part of their product. So it's an interesting narrative, and I'd love to get some of your thoughts. How do you feel, Tony?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, you mentioned Ripple and and XRP. And remember, XRP um, has better attributes than Bitcoin. Don't get me wrong. I hold Bitcoin. I hold it as digital goal. It has made me money. Now, XRP, though, was fast and you were able to do micropayments and people were doing Twitter uh, tipping and so forth. And you were able to move money really fast and do a lot of cool things. So definitely a threat, right? Anything that... Um, can surpass the US dollar and you can move in and settle instantly, absolutely a threat. And uh, I had tweeted out that I spoke to a source, someone who worked in government. He was a regulator. and Now he's advising um, crypto companies. You know, I had a long conversation with him with Operation Chokepoint. And uh, he was telling me this is coming from the top. And that's why you see it's not only at the SEC, but these other government agencies all going after crypto. And the Fed is a part of it as well, he told me, um, because... We're seeing that the government is afraid of losing control. He um, said Janet Yellen is, is part of this too. is She's the one feeding a lot of the negativity to the Biden administration uh, being part of the treasury. So they're scared of stable coins as well as people using crypto to move value versus the U.S. dollar. And that goes back to what Reeve was saying. You are taking the power away from the government. Now, can they kill crypto? No. I think if they wanted to do that, they could have done it like 10 years ago with Bitcoin. Now it's impossible, especially that crypto is so globally distributed.
1: Absolutely. And thank you so much, Tony. I got stuck on the mute button there, but I did pull up this crypto Twitter thread that you put out several weeks ago, and it does address some of the inside sources that you just mentioned. So this is a direct quote from our special guest. He said, I spoke to a source who cannot be named, and they gave me insight onto the attack on crypto a.k.a. Operation Chokepoint 2.0. It sounds like a James Bond movie. This person worked in government and is now in the crypto industry. This attack was a green light from the top, and it's coming from the Biden administration, also known as the President of the United States. This is why the SEC and CFTC, as well as other government agencies, are targeting crypto companies in parallel. And this is why Gary Gensler has been so bold and not afraid of any consequences. We can dive into the Janet Yellen news after. But, Tony, any additional comments before we kick it to the other members here?
0: Um, no, I think I think that that Gary Gensler uh, situation is just a clear indication of, once again, the green light from the top. While, you know, the president hasn't come out and made a speech, he, he Gary's not afraid of anything. And even though Republicans, I, many of who I've interviewed, like Tom Emmer and Haizinga and so forth, who are part of uh, the House, even though they're huffing and puffing and sending letters, Gary's like, eh, I don't care, right? He, there's no consequences to Gary. Now, I could be proved wrong and and you know maybe the House Republicans can do something but right now it seems like this is a a, a slow crypto down put up the roadblocks as much as possible.
1: And Tony you brought up something great which is during that Tether interview what did he say specifically he said this is direct competition to many of the billion and trillion dollar financial institutions today. So of course the president of the United States who is you know influenced and paid by people like BlackRock, JP Morgan, Bank of America. Of course, he's going to give them the green light to go and take out their competition. But Gonzo, I'd like to get some thoughts from you as well before we continue. How do you feel about Tony's Inside Sources, also known as Operation Chokepoint 2.0?
2: Yeah, you know, um, I I agree. I remember reading the article and the original uh, Chokepoint came out um, under the Obama administration, right? When they came out and they were using kind of banks to kind of to leverage To get their way. Right. And then so this is like the second version of it. You know, I I do have a question for Tony. So do you think, Tony, like that the next election for the presidency will be a big deal? And if we can get a Republican not picking left or right. But do you think that'll kind of maybe if Gary Gensler's still in power, it'll kind of change the dynamics of what's happening in Washington, just because usually it seems like the Republicans are a little bit more crypto friendly than Democrats are.
0: I do think so, but then I, the the part that confuses me, which I can't really figure out or get a pulse on, is the Fed, because I think the Fed, regardless of who's president, they have they control the money, and it's almost like the president has to go with the flow, because at the end of the day, this is how the system works, and if the Fed and the Treasury are worried about the money, I don't I don't know if a Republican um, uh, president would would flip on them or go in the opposite direction. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, yeah, yeah. you got to go with this system because that's how it is. Right.
2: Yeah. You know, what's crazy is that, um, you know, they they, they're fighting us so much or they're fighting crypto so much because they want to keep the dollar in power, but the answer is right there in front of them, right? Being able to leverage the dollar and blockchain is right there in front of them. The solution that they fear so much is right there, and then whether they realize that or not, and you know, it'll probably be through a CBDC eventually, right? But I, I mean, it's just like right there, so it, it, it's just
1: it's just funny that way. Tony, we've brought this up many times on the show. Not only is Ripple working around the world in developing a central bank digital currency. We do not believe in this technology. So although we're invested in this co- in this project, we are not advocates of essential bank digital currency and we try to regurgitate that every single day on this channel. But guys, we got 307 live listeners joining us. Show us some love, smash that like button. We're about to break down how CBDCs are the topic of conversation for 2023. But before we do that, I'd love to show our listeners a clip of Tom Emmer one of the only crypto advocates working in the United States government, explaining why a CBDC is something the United States citizens need to be protected against.
0: The Biden administration is currently itching to create a digital authoritarian style, surveillance style digital dollar. Uh, And through an executive order, they're pursuing analysis on a retail CBDC that would not be open, permissionless, permissionless uh, or private. In fact, it would be written with significant risk to Americans' privacy, security, financial inclusion, and a whole lot more.
1: Well, I'm going to pause it right there, Tony, because when I listened to the Bank of England speak just yesterday, they told me a central bank digital currency would enhance privacy. So what's going on here? And then we'll talk about it more.
0: Yeah, I'm worried about this. And t- similar to you know the sentiments that you guys have, I'm bullish on blockchain and crypto, but I don't like CBDCs. And I've had uh, Chris Giancarlo of the Digital Dollar Project on I've talked to Tom Emmer as well, and I'm trying to get him back on, but he's so busy now. But um, he's at least fighting the good fight and putting out bills and legislation to make sure that we maintain our right to privacy. Because we've seen that even if you know the government says, "Oh, we're not going to look at anything," don't worry about it. Here to use our CBD, right? It's like a Trojan horse. And then you have somebody at the NSA or somebody in government. They're human beings, and power, you know, ultimate power corrupts, right? So they're going at some point. It's going to fall apart and they're going to start collecting your data. They're going to know what you're doing. And you get the wrong person in government. You get, you know, some sort of draconian law or something. and People not paying attention and they're tracking everything. They know everything. And, and who knows where that leads us. So I am worried about this. Um, but the CBDCs are inevitable. I, I talk to different folks. We can't stop this. Even the Bitcoiners, the hardcore Bitcoiners, there's no stopping. They can tweet all they want. Uh, but there's no stopping it. It's coming, and so many governments are working on their CBDCs. So I'm glad Tom Emmer is doing his thing, and I appreciate that. But um, we got to watch this closely. I, I this this worries me.
1: Absolutely. And Gonzo, you know what this reminds me of? A couple of weeks ago, we showed an update from MSNBC or whatever stadium that they have in New York where all the basketball games go down. They just started using facial recognition technology to annex lawyers from a certain law firm to enter their building. So let's make the leap here and skip five years down the line. Not only will we have central bank digital currencies, but most likely they will try to implement a social credit score along with it. And what makes me really nervous Is that during the C-19 crisis, many of the misinformation and the things that were considered false, people were being penalized for this information. It's turning out to be true just three years later. So we could have some serious consequences if there were financial consequences for saying what you believe to be true. It's a very dangerous road to go down. So, Gonzo, how do you feel about a CBDC and the facial recognition all being part of the same narrative?
2: Yeah, you know, it's dude, it's super scary, right? Because, I mean, you could just see the path that they would take us down. I mean, just think about what happened with the C-19 thing, right? And the whole V discussion, right? If, if you don't get your V, you don't get your money, right? They can continue to like, okay, well, you live in California. Well, we don't want you to go to Texas and spending uh, you know, spending our California CBDC or it could go break down to the way that you vote, the car that you drive. We can get really crazy with like your carbon emissions. You have too many carbon emissions. And, and what's sad is that for most people that don't really understand They're just going to like look at it as free money. Like the government's going to come in and say, Hey, look, don't use your cash. If you use our CBDC, we'll give you an extra $100 or we'll give you an extra 25%. Right. And so they'll lay it out as if it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. But people and people will take it right because they need the money or they want the money or what have you. Um, and then you know, we'll all pay for it later. So, yeah, dude, it's super scary. So, like, Tony said, I'm glad that you have some people in Washington that are realizing this and that are speaking up because while we think that CBDCs are unavoidable, maybe they can do something to not slow them down, but to tweak them just a little bit so that it kind of helps us out and we do get some privacy.
3: Another problem I see is imagine there is a big conflict between Russia and the US, right? So uh, about Ukraine. And imagine you're a business owner, and you have people over there in Russia that work for you, and um, and basically they could come up with a uh, with a law saying uh, we're not allowing you guys, our citizens, to uh, trade or exchange anything, goods and services with um russia uh imagine when you have cbdc's you can't transfer money anymore it's it's not possible that would be one thing Uh, the government intervention could really kill our freedom in this space or you know in europe in germany just started basically you can't anymore you can't just go and and purchase something with cash that is over ten thousand dollars you need to um do it uh, with with a bank transfer you can't pay in cash anymore so that is messed up and that literally tells us that um CBDCs are, are coming and it's going to be uh whether you like it or not they will control us and this is why we need more uh more voices in this space not just coming from the crypto space it has to come from all sectors right from all industries say- saying um that we don't want CBDCs or even if it's coming it's uh inevitable um, that we have, you know, clear rules and transparency there as well. And privacy, obviously, for every uh, each individual, of course.
1: Well, Tony, some interesting news that came out last week is Saudi Arabia is now willing to settle oil trade in other currencies besides the United States dollar. And anybody who studies the dollar knows that 60% of all transactions in our currency don't take place within our borders, they take place overseas. So the most of our value doesn't come from the American dollar, it comes from the American dollar being traded internationally. So I'd like to get some of your thoughts on that as well. The central bank digital currency narrative is becoming in full effect. What do you think about China being way ahead of America? Are we going to run into a situation where we have to catch up or we get left behind?
0: Yeah, it's interesting to sit back and watch all these puzzle pieces come together, like you said, the narratives and different countries making statements. And you you just look at the timing, right? It's like, oh, that's interesting. But it aligns with CBDCs and different countries having their own uh, respective uh, digital currency. And I think a move away from the petrodollar, which is the US dollar, right? And and the agreement that the United States made with the Saudis. I don't know how all that's going to work and how it's going to turn out. Um, I think the U.S. dollar will still have some huge dominance, but it won't be as it was for the past 40, 50 years or whatever it may be. Um, and we'll see how the dynamic plays out with which CBDCs uh, or uh, become the more authoritative or dominant, right? To your point, China is trying to inject a digital yuan in different economies. Like they're going to different countries in Africa, doing a lot of infrastructure build there. They're trying to inject it there as well. Um, you know, th- there's also the political squeezing that's happening, these geo macro political battles, you know, with money and trade and so forth. So I feel like the US has some levers to pull to slow it down. But it's, you know, it's of course hard to tell how things are going to play out. But um, it's kind of crazy when you think about it. I, sometimes I, I'm, I'm in the shower and I'm thinking, like, how is this all going to end up right? Where's all these puzzle pieces going to come together? It's, it's pretty interesting. And, 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 uh, I almost want to have like a whiteboard where I'm mapping out, you know, that meme with the guy from, um, What's the movie where you're connecting all the dots? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. With all the red
2: string, you're going to have all the red strings sticking, you know, sticking out, connecting the dots. Yeah. I
0: look forward to the day, Tony,
1: because hopefully you can solve the mystery as to what's going on. And we're going to show you an update from the mainstream news here as Bloomberg is talking about central bank digital currencies. And I just want to say this before we start the video. Coach JV always references the programming of the masses. By exposing them to this stuff, even if it's through a negative narrative. So, just because they're criticizing CBDCs doesn't mean they're not getting the, the public ready to roll this technology out. We're gonna let the short clip play and go back to the group here. Here we go.
3: How concerning is that from a security perspective, given your background on that and on counterterrorism and some of these other issues? You have special insight into this. Yes, and I think the the backdrop to this is that there's really a geopolitical context to all of this, and we have to make sure that we're not losing the forest for the trees. The geopolitical backdrop is that Around the world, there is now, I don't know if it's a race, but there's
0: certainly a march towards finding alternative ways for new digital financial infrastructure. Basically, how to do cross border transactions uh, in a way where you're not relying the same way on traditional banking infrastructure. That's happening, whether we want to like it or not. And it's not just China. Uh, of course, China has its project, but other countries in the EU, the UK, Japan, uh, other parts of East Asia are all trying to figure out a way to innovate with. Payments. Now that
1: pull- now we can do this through the private sector or we can do this through the public sector. And I'd like to get some of your thoughts, Tony, because we know that digital narrative was set out to move away from centralized entities. But what is everyone getting excited about right now? JP Morgan, Chase, Bank of America are all going to start custody in crypto and centralizing this industry. So although the investors that are in today may make a ton of money over the next two or three years. It's going to move us out of this decentralized narrative if most of the Bitcoin or most of the Ethereum is held by these trillion dollar institutions. So I'd like to get some of your thoughts and then we'll dive into some XRP news.
0: Yeah, sure. So I I think it was Tom Emmer that I had spoken to. We were talking about uh, the CBDCs and how they would be distributed? Or it was possibly Chris Giancarlo of the Digital Dollar Project. I can't remember which one. But I asked, you know, with the Fed, would they distribute the CBDC directly to users? Or would it come through the regular commercial banks? And um, one of them said it would come through the regular commercial banks. So if you have an account with JP Morgan, the CBDC would flow from the Fed to those respective banks to your bank account or your respective wallet Uh, this way. uh, And I think Tom Emmer was the one who put out a bill saying we don't want the Fed issuing wallets for CBDCs. So. The likes of JP Morgan and all these guys are on board. And uh, you, as you can imagine, they're also trying to lobby to slow down crypto, to stop the ripples, to stop uh, the stable coin issuers. Right. And, and you look at JP Morgan, they issued their own stable coin. Now it's private. It's within their ecosystem called JPM coin. Uh, but they recognize the disruption and that's why they've been building and, and investing. But at the same time, trying to slow down the free market. Right. By lobbying. And with regards to your question of, okay, if they control a lot of the assets, yeah, you know, I I think ideally, they would love to have the majority of Bitcoin and Ethereum and and so forth, and then sell it to you. We're seeing uh, the infrastructure being built with that for that like Nidig, they're working with federal credit unions and smaller banks around the United States enable them to offer Bitcoin. So the banks would love to get the exchanges out of the way and sell it to you, you come to us, right? So they can make their fees and all that stuff. Like, the same the same way things have been going for the, however long.
1: How do you feel about the narrative that the market is already centralized today because people are only able to invest by onboarding and offboarding through centralized exchanges? I know this is one of the biggest problems or frustrations I had. Every time I wanted to buy crypto, I have to go through Coinbase. I have to go through crypto.com. If there was a decentralized way for me to purchase these assets, it's the exact opposite of what all these bankers want. So just to close us out here, Tony, can you give me some thoughts on that?
0: Sure. Yeah, I mean, to your point, um, the, a lot of these exchanges, obviously centralized. I know there are decentralized exchanges out there. Some have tried to build a decentralized exchange subsidiary or ARM, um, but the adoption's not there yet. And I think people have to trust it, right? I think uh, DeFi has really put a damper on things because of all the exploits and the hacks. So I think if decentralized exchanges are able to raise the standard and get more prominence, then uh, you, could, you could see a move away from CFI, uh, But it's not there yet. And to your point, there's a lot of exchanges. Now, the, the good thing about uh, what happened last year, if I could say that, with all the collapses, is a lot of exchanges started putting out audits and proof of reserves. That's great. That should have been there from day one, but you live and you learn. So if they can at least get to that level of transparency and show their custody and show, hey, we have all of the funds that could help you know in in improving um maybe how people see the market and the distribution of funds in a sense that oh coinbase has a billion i don't know whatever tokens or whatever it is that's interesting and this exchange has 30 million you kind of get a a lay of the land so i think more the more transparency will help um in, in addressing some of the centralized exchange issues
1: another interesting detail out of coinbase gonzo and we covered this yesterday There is 86% of all trading done on Coinbase comes from institutions, but 96% of all profit comes from retail investors. What does that tell you? tells me that for every time they charge retail $10, they're charging institutions less than $1 for the same amount of transactions. It's very eye-opening. But before we get into that, we got 310 live listeners joining us. Show us some love, smash that like button, and we're going to talk about how Visa and MasterCard are afraid of Gary Gensler right after we show you the smartest way to track your crypto have you gotten wrecked in the crypto market space or watched your crypto portfolio go all the way up and then all the way down without taking profits if so it's probably because you didn't have an exit plan the good news is that doesn't need to happen anymore thanks to a new and innovative crypto tracker called merlin it's the smartest way to track your crypto merlin brings all your coins into one place so you can see all your assets across the different exchanges on one screen you can see your total portfolio value and more importantly, your daily gains, losses and total since inception. Merlin puts the power back in your hands so you no longer have to guess what your portfolio is doing on a daily or monthly basis. Most importantly, Merlin lets you create an exit plan and sends you notifications when your targets are reached so you no longer have to get wrecked in the marketplace. Go to MerlinCrypto.com. That's MerlinCrypto.com and sign up for our free 30-day trial and get on the wait list so you can receive an email when the product is launched. Don't miss out on this new and innovative app, Merlin. It's the smartest way to track your crypto. And for anybody who's not aware, guys, there is a link down below to get free access for 30 days to this brand new application. So I'm really excited to roll it out. Give us some feedback. And this should be live sometime in late April. But Gonzo, we got some great news prepared. So I want to get your thoughts on the last article we just discussed. And then we'll talk about the Visa and MasterCard news. What's it mean to you?
2: Um, I, I'm sorry, I got sidetracked with the Merlin thing because I was thinking about all the say, things that I've do been
1: doing. About, how <laughs> do you feel about what Tony said? Many of these central banks are bringing, yeah. sorry, Gary Gensler's main role is to take these central banks and allow them to promote cryptocurrencies. They're going to say, all of these exchanges, they're not verified custodians. Come to JP Morgan, come to Bank of America, and you can get the same services, but we won't give you the same yield. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that before we continue.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely see that. I think Coach JV has been talking about that for the last couple of years, where you can see that that's where we're moving to, where these banks like Wells Fargo, JP Morgan, that every chase that everybody knows and trusts, that most people know and trust, right? Um, that all of a sudden they're going to act as exchanges, right? And I also wouldn't be surprised if you see somebody like coinbase that's a regulated exchange if it starts to meld itself kind of into a bank right it's gonna i think when it's left i I think when all the regulation plays out coinbase has a very good chance of still being there right who even knows we've even talked about like maybe ripple eventually becoming some kind of kind of bank exchange combo thing right because i feel like that's where they make the money like you were spot on kind of remember you were asking before now Uh, As far as like the Coinbase thing with the fees, they make all their money on fees. But we know that's just for retail, right? That's not how the institutions get charged. And we saw this in 2022 with all the backdoor deals, whether it was Three Arrows Capital or Celsius, what what they were doing were if I took a loan, it was collateralized. And if I didn't meet my obligation, I got liquidated. These guys were taking loans that weren't even collateralized, right? Let alone being over collateralized. That's how we got in trouble. So I think it's always going to be that way. The institutions are always going to get a better deal than like
1: than me and you are. You're spot on, Gonzo. And check out this new update we got from Visa and MasterCard yesterday. As everyone is shaking in their boots because of the tirade on crypto, Visa and MasterCard seem to be thinking this is inevitable and these projects are set to succeed. So Visa and MasterCard paused the crypto push in the wake of an industry meltdown as the U.S. payments giants Visa and MasterCard are slamming the brakes on plans to forge new partnerships with crypto firms after a string of high-profile collapses shook the entire industry. The crypto industry saw a stunning reversal from the fortunes made in 2022 as many projects such as FTX and BlockFi collapsed to zero. Both Visa and MasterCard have decided to push back on the launch of certain products in related to crypto until the market conditions and regulatory environment improve. What they're basically saying there is they don't want to get sued by Gary Gensler for promoting unregistered securities. Recent high profile failures in the crypto sector are an important reminder that we have a long way to go before crypto becomes part of mainstream payments, said Visa, but this does not change the way the company is strategizing for the long term. MasterCard also commented and said, our efforts are continued to focus on the underlying technology and how that can be applied to help address certain pain points and build more efficient payment systems. So, Tony, I'd like to get some of your thoughts. Is this indirectly them being afraid of Gary Gensler or what's going on here?
0: Yeah, I think that's absolutely it. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty and fear in the air uh, right now in the industry because we don't know who's going to get hit next, right? Uh, we just saw Kraken, Paxos, and Paxos was regulated. It's it's unbelievable what happened with that situation, and so was Kraken, of course. Um, so these companies, I think they're they're going to keep building um, on the inside, on the internal, but they're not really going to uh, probably put out you know things that may put them at risk, especially just where it's not just the sec you have all these other agencies um on the hunt right now to slow down crypto and the last thing they want you know to, to is to get ding they got to make sure they mitigate as much risk as possible but they are building I, i've spoken to some folks i know folks at visa and so forth they're building and they're hiring when they will re- release and make their announcements that's where the legal team and the risk team everybody's planning okay uh, this Paxo stuff, this Kraken stuff, let's hold off, right? Let's hold off until maybe there's something that comes out of Congress or the SEC backs off and we don't hear much from them.
1: Absolutely. And Gonzo, one of the ways we've been able to identify successful projects during the bear market is figuring out who's expanding and making acquisitions while several other prominent companies are shutting down. And Ripple has expanded its new team, hiring over 300 employees over the last 12 months. So he brought up something important there. Watch what they do and not what they say. Well, Ripple is doing both right here, Gonzo. And I'm kicking it right to you after this article. As the key dialogue for Ripple and the main goal for 2023 is launching central bank digital currencies all around the world. CBDCs are the key focus for Ripple in 2023. And one of their vice presidents affirmed this, presenting that his company has a solution to provide CBDCs and authorities to turn to when they're ready for this technology. There are a lot of central banks and they have different needs. They're also on different parts of this journey. We're in a dialogue with not 10, not 20, but a bunch more central banks around the world with these discussions. And Ripple has been focusing on the international market after being annexed by the SEC. The company's already hired 300 additional employees in 2022 alone. So Gonzo, is this an indicator to you that Ripple's set to succeed? How do you feel about over 20 central banks working on a product here?
2: A hundred percent, abs. I I mean, and Brad Garlinghouse has already said this. They have been moving forward as if they lost the SEC case. They are just putting that off to the side, and they've continued to build their relationships outside of the U.S. So regardless of what happens with the SEC and the Ripple lawsuit, um, they're going to continue to do what they're doing, and that's building partnerships around the world. They want to be in the U.S., but if it doesn't play out, it doesn't play out. And they've moved their business as if they had already lost, and I think that was genius. There's a quote in there that talks about, Um, cross-border payments being the greatest unsolved financial puzzle, right? So to me, what that tells me is that cross-border payments is the greatest opportunity for us, right? And that's why we invest in Ripple, right? Not just because of the cross-border payments things, but the partnerships that they're building. And then like, this is just another level of it is when they're going to get into CBDCs.
1: Absolutely. And Tony, another thing that caught my attention is they're starting off in smaller countries. We had a conversation earlier about how China is the furthest along in development of a CBDC. And that's because the technology has been annexed in the US. Now, that may be for good reason, but is there any positive narrative we can take from this? Obviously, Ripple's promoting CBDCs. What can the regular retail investor do?
0: Yeah. You know, I interviewed James Wallace of Ripple. Um, he's the head of, or excuse me, VP of central bank engagements and CBDCs. I think it was last month. Um, And we talked a lot about this and the things that they're doing, man, they're full steam ahead. Um, And folks, you know, sometimes we being in the United States, we think everything revolves around the United States, but not anymore. There's a lot of developing countries and countries that are maturing and their economies are maturing and ripples going full steam ahead. You know, Dubai, uh, Asian markets, Singapore and so forth. So they're building, they're moving ahead, which I think is great. And. Um, it's good to see because I, I think it, it helps push the narrative that you, the United States doesn't get this right. People are just going to go overseas and keep building and keep doing their thing. The world is bigger than just the United States. Um, uh, uh, yes, we have the largest capital markets, but things are still moving ahead overseas.
1: Absolutely, Tony. And the last thing I want to ask you, because I know you got to run after this. What do you think about David Schwartz changing his Twitter profile? Because you just referenced it here. They're not going to die as a company, but they may go overseas. And I'm going to pull that up in the background while you're discussing it. Do you know what I'm referencing right now?
0: I think so. I've been on vacation yeah. for the past uh, week. so <laughs>
1: Sorry to put you on the spot. Just give me about 30 seconds here. So what happened is the Ripple CTO, David Schwartz, changed the header on his Twitter account to say that when a company tries to make innovation They never realized the battle that could have been fought. And now they're on the brink of failure versus survival. And I think what he was hinting at is if they can't succeed in the United States, there's plenty of other countries that they can migrate to and operate legally. So while I pull that up, what are some of your thoughts, Tony? Um,
0: You know, I'm not sure why David, David does some interesting things on Twitter. Sometimes he tweets and says things, but um, in, in the gist of what that a statement says- So I I can actually, Tony, let me
1: just read it so I clarify. I'm not sure if I explained it perfectly, that's why. So David actually tweeted out, he said, when a scrappy financial startup takes on a web of corruption and betrayal to bring instant payment to the masses, they learn the cost of disrupting the status quo is higher than they could have ever imagined, forcing them to decide between their vision and survival. And so what I think he's hinting at here is not the survival of Ripple, but the survival of these products in the United States. So I'd like to get some of your thoughts on that
0: oh yeah yeah for sure so it kind of goes back to what reeve was saying right uh a financial startup uh trying to disrupt money and the movement of money and settlement so you're disrupting the status quo and these whales these gorillas the 800 pound gorillas in the room jp morgan's and so forth which have controlled that system for so long um they have been tied to the fed uh the debt-based system of the us dollar there's so many things at play here in that disruption So it's a a very hard battle, Uh, but as we've seen, man, the the, the candle makers could try to lobby against the light bulb makers and the electricity companies. The horse and buggy could have tried to lobby against the automobile. They may slow things down. They may cause a lot of uh, pain and confusion, but they can't stop it. And um, the great thing about this technology, it's no longer... You, you don't need the United States or what's happening in the United States for it to grow and expand and to build. You can go to other countries because the Internet is the the ultimate level playing field, right? As long as there's Internet connection, you can build on it. And blockchain is on the Internet. It's, layer, it's a layer two, if you want to call it that, of the Internet. Uh, so the U.S., if, if they really push back on this, they're fighting a losing battle. Ultimately, they will lose. But I hope they get it right. I live in the United States. I hope they get it right. I hope this is just the incumbents fighting us. We're in that uh, fight you phase, right, before you win. So I'm, I'm hoping to get it right. But it's no longer, you know, being within the United States border to, to build and do something right. You can go do this in other countries.
1: Last statement of the show, Tony, here. Is every single crypto besides Bitcoin an unregistered security? Yes or no?
0: No, I mean it's <laughs> right. It's it, it, it's like it depends. It's situational because there are some projects that are securities. This goes back to Hester Purse's logical, reasonable guidelines. This is different from orange groves. This is different from uh, some, uh, you know, plantation down in Florida. Whatever you want to call it, you have to work with these projects. You have to bring them in and and don't. You know, do the mob shakedown that Gary's been doing. Come in, talk to us while you're taking notes to try to squeeze them, right? Uh, you got to to, to to figure this out and get it right. Bring the projects in, give them a timeline to decentralize. If they don't hit it, then they are securities. If they hit it, then they, they're free. They're good. They keep building. And they can do the monthly reporting, the quarterly reporting. It's so simple. But like I said, it goes back to you're disrupting money. So the incumbents are fighting.
1: Absolutely, guys. And we've got 333 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And I want to say thank you to Tony for making time for us this morning. I always learn when I have you on the show. And I'm always watching your interviews. So just know that, my friend. Thank you for being here. Look forward to collaborating soon. Thank you,
0: Yeah, thanks, Tony. Awesome, guys.
1: And we got about five minutes left here. So Gonzo, we're going to talk about something which is very important. And let me just find this article here because over 66 million Americans currently own crypto and Gary Gensler's doing his best to protect them. But what did we get an announcement about just yesterday? Google Cloud is going to be working with a smaller project called Casper Labs and growing a portfolio of Web3 partnerships. And the main thing I took away from this is they are trying to compete with Amazon Web Services. So Gonzo, I'm looking forward to talking about this. Google Cloud said on Tuesday that it will partner with Casper Labs, a company that develops and maintains Casper's blockchain, which caters to large corporations and government institutions. Casper Labs will move a portion of its infrastructure over to Google Cloud servers, as well as provide developers working on Casper blockchains, access to the cloud's provider storage and hosting space. So for anybody who's not familiar with this lingo here, it's going to become much simpler to be a developer on Casper, and they're also going to be working with Google to create new opportunities. And with the addition of Casper Labs, this is the latest move in a series of moves by Google to increase its Web3 presence with companies to compete like Amazon, to compete with companies like Amazon Web Services, which is announcing its own partnership with Blockchain Labs and Foundations. And we know Polygon, also known as Matic, is one of them. So Gonzo, I'd like to get some of your thoughts on Casper not a financial advisor, not a fina- not financial advice, but Kevin Cage pointed this out to me. The more I learn about this project, the more excited I get.
2: Yeah, you know, Casper is when we're trying to be one of those layer one blockchains that's for enterprise, right? Their claim to fame is that the development language is very easy. They could use current development language and kind of transfer it over into the blockchain so they can develop. Uh, and they've been kind of building behind. So this is the first major kind of announcement that they've had, but I think we're going to see this more and more. And I love Casper. Um, you know, you can stake Casper uh, through Casper Labs or if you have it on Uphold and stuff like that. But um, I think we're going to see this more and more, right? You're going to have this competition between the two big ones, Amazon and Google, and who can do more partnerships, right? Whether it's AVAX, Polygon, you got Hbar in the mix. And now we have Casper Labs. They're going to keep building these partnerships to do different things. Like with AVAX, it's Amazon and gaming. A lot of them is is kind of their node development or with this one, um, being able to like build applications. Um, this is telling us where we're going with blockchain and some of these um, like layer ones, right? They're absolutely not going anywhere. Like I think we're in the, they fight you stage of this. But once this all like settles down and it gets played out, this is why we're here, right? This is this is why we're, we're like, Johnny says this all the time. We're so early, it feels like we're late and so these are the partnerships that we want to see and we want to see this continue to build right all these different use cases for these different blockchains and then we're going to we're going to invest accordingly and then we'll see at the end who wins the race right or who i think it's going to be multiple but that's why we're here
1: and it shows so, that, it shows that many of these institutions are yet to start competing in web3 this is the first I don't know if I would say competition, but something along the lines of a competition we've seen between Google and Amazon to roll out web three products. And guess what? It's only 2023. So Simon, why don't you close us out? And then I have
3: another article prepared. Yeah. So it's unfortunate, of course, to see Casper Labs uh, had a very, I would say not a great start, right? It was right at the peak of the bull market. And then, uh, it- at like during summer it crashed and then ever since we've never seen a uh, bull run for this one but it excites me the most to see these projects that had a massive selling pressure right after launch that they have a chance to see a great bull run because we've never seen all-time highs for them so this is why you know i believe casper labs will see some great performance especially with these great partnerships and the utility that it provides even without these partnerships i believe in casper labs and i believe in the in the team so um it it looks like okay the next bull market casper is going to take over
1: absolutely and it is a relatively small market cap guys but i want to show our listeners this final story a stellar is a project that has some of the most boring price movement in the cryptocurrency market today when you look at the development They've got some of the most exciting developments behind the scenes. So first of all, they did start launching their central bank digital currency product in Ukraine to get people money. Now we have a second trial going on here in Brazil as the Brazilian CBDC has just been featured in a trial test involving Stellar Lumens and Gonzo. We don't have too much time to dive into the details here, but it's no surprise to me. Every time we have a CBD conversation, it's two companies. Ripple and Stellar. So it's no question here that Stellar is going to be rolling out in Brazil. Is this an exciting update to you or more of just a long-term game?
2: No, I think it is. I mean, you know, XLM is it's just like XRP, right? We go on these long stretches of where the price action is just kind of just ranging. And then when it moves, it moves. So when XRP moves, XLM is going to move, right? And that's the way I look at the For me, it's just been a long-term accumulation. And when I've been below my average entry, I've entered it. But I'm glad to see that, you know, XLM is kind of building these different use cases because I do think that they have a a place. Um, And I think in the end, you know, you're going to have XRP and you're going to have XLM. That's kind of like why we're always talking about it or why we have big positions in both of those.
1: Selman, I want to, I want to give you a chance to close it out here, but my bold prediction for the end of the XRP lawsuit is that when XRP starts moving in price, coincidentally, Stella will get some movement as well. And that's what I'm anticipating. But guys, we got 288 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. Hopefully, we brought some great information for today. Selman, feel free to close us out.
3: Now, one thing that I can give um, um, to our audience, basically, when you have NFT projects, for example, right, or decentralized applications built on Ethereum, uh, the way there is um, the, the, the value of Ethereum goes up is by, you know, demand going up right you you have more use cases and you need ethereum to pay the for gas fees etc so it has some use case but when you build something for example on xrpL you create your own token on the xrpL um, and you never use xrp right as a currency you use your own token for example for your services then that doesn't have a direct um, effect on xrp itself um, it is just using the blockchain and in my Uh, understanding okay like I want to know more about like this um, CBDC that's rolling out is it just going to use the blockchain without XLM involved at all the currency uh, involved at all is it just that if it's only that it's great marketing it's going to say that hey XLM is pretty much like um, doing great partnerships and accepted from by many institutions but other than that, obviously, if it's not using XLM directly, then there is not going to be that direct uh, uh, effect on the price chart uh, on the price action, right? Yeah. So um, that is important. People should uh, should know that. Thank you. Well, so much. I mean,
2: Actually, I think it's a network effect, uh, Salman. So I'm going to disagree a little bit. I love when we disagree because it just makes the show more spicier. But I, I think that, yeah, you're right. If it's not directly leveraging the XLM token, but I think that it's a network effect. So if you get more activity on the network and you're building more use case, automatically that'll eventually translate to price action moving up. That's just my opinion
1: absolutely gonzo and just as, as a reminder to close the show out there's only one currency that has passed ethereum in the past and i know gonzo and selma know this but guys that would be xrp so keep that in mind history doesn't repeat but it often rhymes we got 285 live listeners joining us show us some love smash that like button we'll see you guys in 23 hours and like
3: we always say warriors ah it's to get got together baby thanks for joining us